Welcome to episode 105 of the Untangled Faith podcast. Today I get to share part three of Bo Pritchard's story, and this is where it gets real interesting. If you've been around for a while, you will especially appreciate today's episode. I can't wait for you to listen. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Hey guys, I want to give a special shout out and thank you to those of you who have been listening to this series of episodes about my friend Bo Pritchard. This is part three, so if you have not listened to the previous two episodes that are below this in the feed, go and listen to those first because this will make a lot more sense if you've already listened to those episodes. And I will just wait here for you while you listen. But if you are caught up, you are in the right place. We are going to pick up where we left off, where Bo last left us. But before I do that, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for the many, many, many of you who have been listening to this story, who have been downloading the episodes, and who have shared really kind and encouraging feedback. Folks, even in Bo's own life, have reached out to him and thanked him for his story. So this is an episode where you find out, like, why exactly did Amy decide to take this story when she doesn't normally share people's stories. I don't do this often, but this one had a special twist in it. And we are going to get to that special twist today. And you'll see how Bo's story overlaps with a story that I shared on the podcast in February of 2022. So it's been almost two years. If you are a longtime listener of the show, I think you will find it very, very interesting. And I'm so glad you're here. Here is the next portion of Bo's story. In September, we get word that we are hiring a new associate pastor. Most of us know that are kind of on the inside that our senior has been talking about retiring or moving towards it. This position was posted and one of the qualifications was senior pastor experience. I put one and one together. This is going to be the new senior pastor. A couple months go by. I get a text from the senior. And the gist of it is that I want, I miss our friendship, our friendship. Like that's, that's bizarre. I thought we just gotten rid of that thing the last time we talked. But again, I'm like, maybe this is going to be the thing that, that, that starts us down some path of, of being able to talk. So I have a third meeting with him. And he comes in like wanting to know what's on my heart. So I methodically walk him through from, from him asking me to come on to the worship team to a couple of the defensive responses I experienced throughout the years that I didn't place a whole lot of weight on, kind of thought that they were my own issue to being yelled at on the phone and the, the blame shifting of, 
of, of me being taken off of the music team. And this was coming out of that 20 months of just deep darkness. Yeah, yeah. You know, I would stand up there and, and play as just a vacant, forcing myself until I couldn't do it anymore. And then as soon as I was able to do it again, I was I was back up there playing. And and him just just yanking me out, not speaking to me for several weeks, jumping on me the next time that we talk. And 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 I said, look, I've been listening to your sermons for years now, where you tell people, if you want to know who you really are, go and grab your friend someone you can trust and and ask them do you see these things in me or what what do you see in me that i'm not seeing i i tried that with you and, and you jumped all over me we're we're always calling one another to, right. to to live in such a way that we're not currently living but mm -hmm. but you you've been telling all of us to, to reach out and grab a friend and trust that the observations that the Spirit of God is revealing to them about you and your life are things that you want to know and things that you are going to at least entertain in your mind that you're blind to. And you steadfastly refuse to do that. This was like the very first time that I just, I, I tell him everything. And his, his first words after that, I'll never forget him. He's quiet for about a minute, minute and a half, seemed like forever. And he said, I was praying on my way in that I would bite my tongue, that I would bite my tongue and, and let you talk. I didn't say it, but I was like, what, what in the heck is that supposed to mean? I, I, I get that you inwardly are like busting at the gut and you think I'm a nut job and I'm, I'm overreacting, and you want to say it, but you normally don't vocalize those things. And then there is what I can only describe as a, a very formal clinical apology. It was kind of like a step-by-step, -step, and again, transaction-driven, that I apologize for this response. And then those apologies started being not caveated, but supplemented with, I know how sensitive you are. Oh, and wow. so I should not, knowing that, should not have responded that way. It becomes more important with, with later conversations that we have with the whole elders. There is not an, an embracing of a behavior or pattern they are apologies for failed transactions. Mm. And, and he would, to this day, maintain that those are the only things that you can be sorry about are those transactions. But they do not represent behaviors and they do not represent patterns. Wow. Later, when we get together with all of the elders and are trying to lay out, we're trying to lay out patterns of abuse, of defensiveness, that they will steadfastly refuse to consider them because it is all about the individual event. And let's get the facts of each event and we will arbitrate right and wrong 
of each transaction, each word spoken, and we will say who was this percent wrong and who was this percent right. And so we can establish some kind of culpability. And for those things that I own and I, and that I concede, I didn't do right, I will apologize for those. And so that was the very formal clinical part of, of how these apologies go. I like what you said, Bo, about the fact that all of us get it wrong. None of us live up to the things. But I think the difference is someone. what we do when somebody points it out to us and says, hey, you're being an ass, <laughs> right? And w- what do you do with it? That is what makes all the difference. Sometimes we don't respond initially really well to someone calling us out. But what if at some point in the not too distant future, we have another chance? Mm-hmm. Because I believe the Holy Spirit works on our hearts and it's like, hey, that was not right. How will you respond to that conviction? Yeah. Man, to over and over and over again be like, nope, not me. Mm-hmm. I'm the one and only person that does not have the fallen sinful nature. It goes against all the stuff that you have been taught. So I leave this conversation. There's hugs. There's, you know, are we good now? And I'm like, well, again, the, the church stuff we haven't touched it, yeah. but okay. And so two days later, and one thing that I know that is, that's coming up is that that Sunday. So now we're going to be talking about what, what happens when accusations are, yeah. are brought against an elder. Yeah. I just um, brought it up on my Bible gateway. <laughs> First Timothy chapter five talks about not rebuking an older man harshly. It talks about how to take care of widows. Later on in the chapter, it talks about elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. Those who are especially preaching and teaching do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Yes, um, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone. That's chapter, that's that's verse 20, so that the others may take warning. So Yeah, so that... that- that 20th verse is super, super important in what's going on um, right now in, in the life of our church and the, the things that we're seeing in elders and our increasing desire to try to bring light to them. Those elders that are sinning, you're to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. So I get, I get a text two days later from the senior asking to use the previous conversation that we had in the sermon Sunday. And I know exactly what he's going to do with it. He's going to use that as an example of when you have a problem with an elder, what you do, which is that you go one-on-one, keep it small. So this is the, you know, sort of this conflation of this, confronting people directly thing with Matthew 18, with elders sinning from, from 1 Timothy 5. It's a total disregard of, of when you have authority in the church that is sinning against the body and the clear direction to, to bring those things before, before the people. They're to be called out before the body with people who witness this behavior. 
And so I decline that invitation to use that. In fact, we were about to go on vacation that Monday. And so I decided that it would just be better if I just skipped the Sunday service. I, I was nervous about what was going to go on in the sermon. And so I talked to a another of our friends in the counseling ministry who were going through these same thought processes and stuff. I asked them, how was the sermon? They said, we can talk about it when you get back from vacation. And like, that sounds rather ominous. And I, Oh man, this, I would be like, oh, well, now my vacation's done. Oh yeah. Well, that, <laughs> so I, I went like directly online and listened to it. And when he got to that passage, he dealt with it by saying that you go individually, one-on-one, -on -one, and that that's how you resolve issues with elders. And, I, and then I relayed my conversation with him from two days prior, and they went, oh, well, that explains that. And I said, explains what? And he said, well, you know, we've been listening to him for 20 years, and we can always tell where there's going to be some personal story, a personal reflection cooked into the sermon. I, I looked at, he looked at his wife and he said, that's weird. It's like something was missing there. And that was just an observation from someone who's been listening to him for 22 years that he yeah. turned and said, that was a weird transition. This is how you deal when, 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 rel when elders have run amok, when they're abusing the flock, you march one by one into the room behind closed doors so that you can you can be dealt with so we get out of town get back and me and and another couple so same couple who were both very involved in the counseling ministry decided that we were going to have our first big meeting with all of the elders we all got together to talk about how can we make them see what we're trying to show them? So very much of a heart that we're not trying to bring any system down. We're not trying to embarrass anyone, but how do we say things in such a way that they can see what apparently they're just, they're just not seeing right now. So we'd spend hours and hours talking about these things. So on, on the 30th of October, we were going to meet about three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And, and so a lot of these things were kind of happening at the same time. There was a student ministry meeting where the pastor of the student ministries had just called a meeting. It was kind of like a pizza meeting, meet, greet with the parents and, and hang out. But a, a couple of the elders had, had co-opted this meeting, take it, taken it from being a, a fellowship with the parents to turn it into a, a Q&A session. And we didn't know at the time that they, they, had, they had their own gripes about, about the student pastor. It, it's good to know at this point that that st very student pastor left the church in the wake of the stuff that's going to be coming. Okay. He was not aligned with their model of care for, for people. I don't know how else to kind of kindly okay. put that. 
He was very relational person. So that was a very contentious meeting. I wasn't in it. I didn't have a child that, that was in the student ministry, but this one elder, the same one that, that threatened this guy at the coffee shop, got up and, and spent about five minutes belittling the student pastor in front of all the parents and then proceeded to set groups up within the student ministry. And, and this was something that just grew and grew when I said that the last sort of member meeting was the first sort of sign that they were turning the body against one another. This elder got up and said, there are, there are two factions in the student ministries. There's the homeschoolers and there's the public schoolers. And everyone kind of looked around the parents and I don't think we have factions. And I heard that from parents who homeschooled. I heard that from parents who sent their kid to public school. Both, both told me after the meeting, I, I, I never looked at us as having factions, but it did serve the point of being able to kind of create divisions in the body. So they come out of this meeting and we walk into our meeting with them. So we thought and thought and thought about how do we get this ball rolling with this meeting? Because we called it. So I opened, opened the meeting by just asking this question, which was, we were in the process of being trained by a guy that you just ran out. So what is our place in this body? We saw the way that he cared for people and we wanted to reproduce that, but right. that seemed intolerable to y'all. How do y'all see us coexisting now? I would think that's a great, very scary question to ask though. Very scary. There was defensiveness from the get-go because I chose to say you ran out. And so a guy jumped up and said, you know, I have a real problem with your characterization of the counseling pastor's transition. We're kind of off to a bad start. They want to litigate the exit and how that happened and why that happened. But the bulk of the conversation revolved around trying to kind of set the, the table for we, we have competing visions of how to care for Christ church. And will you just listen to us as we try to demonstrate the things that we have seen, the things that we've heard from other people, and how we believe that all of these events over the course of these years are really a, a pattern. I, I'm feeling anxious about this conversation and I'm not even in it. And I know it's already happened. These are important questions. You have spent a lot of time learning how to care for people and love people under this pastor that has been asked to leave. This is such a crucial conversation. So it goes on for three hours. They really say very little, which was abnormal for them. But we also were very plain in the beginning that we characterized many interactions with them in the past as being met with defensiveness. And so 
it seems that that the response in that first meeting was to just not say anything. In my opinion, that was a way to see if we'd get something off our chest and say, we're all good now and, and move on. Somewhere halfway through the conversation, the senior has these tried and true fallback questions or statements. One is to distill a lot of information down to one statement. Because mm. if, if you can distill things and you can have people agree to the distillation of a single point and, and you made the point, you're, you're likely able to, to handle the point. And then to say, you agreed. I just answered it. Yeah. We should be I good. I just summarized the problem. I figured it out. Yes. You agreed on it all. In the interim here, we had gotten hold of Bully Pulpit. So that had recently been released. And it was very, on being able to take a lot of disparate events and interactions and disorienting conversations. Why did they say that? Why did they do this? And to, to start to frame up some categories about th this is why narcissistic people will respond this way. This is what love bombing looks like when someone compliments how smart you are and then later says, I thought you were smart. You really enjoyed the being well thought of earlier on, but now, now that's being taken away from you and you're demonstrating that, oh, you must not be smart. That was one of the very things that I heard from the senior. I, I always thought you were so smart. That's why I don't understand why you're doing this, why you think this way. So I felt like we were a lot more wise to some of these tactics. And I think it's good to note that I think a, most of these tactics are learned. I really don't believe that they studied them. Or yeah, they, I, you know, I, they I agree with you. Got yeah. a narcissist handbook and said, here's how you manipulate and control people. It was probably likely done to them and left to our own devices. We will find things that, that are pragmatic. They, they accomplish an end for a particular purpose. And so they become a part of our lexicon and part of our behaviors. And so when, when the effort was made to try to distill I wouldn't allow them to, to distill the conversation. I, said, I just, we talked about a lot of things and there's no way you can summarize it like that. Yeah. Maybe you had seen in the past that that distillation can sometimes be a way of stopping the conversation. And mm. does that sound right? Yeah. And it's also, it's a very dismissive way of saying, I know you just talked for 90 minutes, but I said it in 10 seconds. Don't you feel stupid? We wanted to lay things out in such a way that, that you might possibly consider dwelling on these things and seeing if there might be some validity to them. So that, that meeting goes three hours. We don't, we don't land on anything. I didn't expect that we were going to land on anything. There was a kind of a semi commitment to get back together at some 
some future time. They had a lot to digest and they had a lot to process and didn't seem like it went really well, but we're asking for the spirit of God to work in, in the lives of his people. Let's see what happens. There's just a lot, there's a lot of stuff going on. I know this new pastor is starting in two weeks. So I'm like, all right, what can I find out about this guy? A couple days later, I'm out just doing a little due diligence online. Am I suspicious of a hire? I'm on pretty high alert, not because I know anything about him, just because I know the people that hired him. I put in the name of the church that he's coming from and start scrolling through social media. I just have to interject here and say, if I did not consider Bo a kindred spirit prior to this, the inner detective in me can so resonate with this. In the Twitter, oh, well, here's a tweet uh, from someone, I don't know, but says, so thankful for my, for my church. List the church name, list this guy's name, and then list a link to a guy named Colby Wilkins. And I go, oh, interesting. And so Colby Wilkins is the only is the only linked name in this in this tweet. I'm gonna click on Colby Wilkins. So I come up the Colby Wilkins page, and pinned to the top of his page is a a tweet where he is recounting his resignation. He was remembering a year prior of when he resigned from his associate pastor position at a church because of an abusive pastor. Somewhere it said, if you'd, if you'd like to know the story, click here. Well, this is interesting. Who the heck is Colby Wilkins? And who's the abusive pastor? And so I click on that link and I, I land on a podcast called Untangled Faith. Oh, hi. I have heard of that podcast. Maybe you have as well. When Bo first told me his story and told me about the overlap with Kat and Colby Wilkins' story, I knew you all would want to hear. So here we are. I settled down to listen to the entire story arc of Colby and then get introduced to his wife, Kat, about the story of this pastor that they suffered under and was finally driven out of his pastoring role and then excommunicated from the church. It hit in so many levels. They were filling in blanks for me and collectively the, the three of y'all were, were putting language to experiences. And I, I'd gotten some of the language from some reading I was doing, the Bully Pulpit book, got introduced to Diane Langberg. And so I, I now am, am able to kind of make sense of the things that are going on. That was a word we just continued to use was how disorienting it was to for these men to be doing and saying the things that they were doing. That so processing like Colby's story while you're kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen at your current church. Yeah. I can't imagine that seeing that they have called this guy to be the pastor that you're just seeing now has inflicted a great amount of harm on somebody, not just as a 
one-off accidental thing. I would be alarmed if I were you. Now that you know this information, what, like, what do you do with it? What happens next? So this is the 1st of November and that night, so I, I hunt around looking for some contact information from either Colby or Kat. And, and I find a link to Kat's counseling practice. She's a licensed therapist. And so I, I found her website, found a, a contact form. And so I wrote a very carefully crafted message to her, letting her know and listen to the podcast. I know you don't know me from Adam. You have no reason to believe me. And, and I'm sure it's very easy to, to think I'm up to no good, but my church is hiring your guy. And would you and Colby be at all willing to, to speak to Ashley and I? So I get, you know, a kind of trepidatious response back, like, tell me about yourself. And so we go back and forth, you know, over the course of a day. Rightfully so. Trying to Yeah, is this a trap? Is this gonna yeah. be cause even more harm for me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out like any like commonality to someone that we may both know that could like vouch. <laughs> but they take a chance and I understood later from them that like she get that email and just like freaks. Oh my goodness. You know, her and Colby are talking back and forth about is it worth the risk? They're brave people. And so they reach out and we set up a, a video call with them for the following night, November 2nd. So the four of us got on video. I don't know how many hours it was. It was just like kindred spirits, people that have felt the same hurts, being able to lean on each other and share experiences. And we, we walked through stuff that was going on at our place currently. They took us through some of the details that weren't shared on the podcast. I was very clear about relaying that I had actually listened to the podcast. So like feeding bits of information that, that they said, anything I could do to build some trust. So we got off that call, all, all of us were, you know, in it for the other. Hearing these sorts of accounts on this side is so rewarding. I don't share these stories. Like I said, I don't do this very often. I did it with Kat and Colby. I did it early on in the podcast, but I have avoided this for the most part. And to hear how it has been helpful, it was just such an encouraging thing for me to hear about how Kat and Colby could be an encouragement to, to Bo and to Ashley. That, that was a huge step because you just never know if in telling truth, what cost it will be. Like, will somebody sue you? Them sharing their story and sharing what is true, it, whether it's written or spoken, it's not slander. Mm -hmm. It's not libel if it's true or if you have reason to believe it's true. But this doesn't stop somebody from being willing to, to sue you. No, and no. threaten you. And so it's scary. I, and I'm sure many people as they're listening are sitting there with you. Like we've been mm. on phone calls like that. We've been on zoom calls like that. We've been at coffee meetups. We're like, I don't know if I can trust you, but I'm willing to take the risk because maybe something good will happen mm -hmm. and hope for the best. What did you feel like was the next thing 
you had to do after connecting with them? So we, we learned about all of the people that had come back to them from, from their church after their excommunication vote, just heartbroken. It was most telling a very similar story where they felt they were railroaded into something and that they had now come back to them and were just, just so sorrowful asking them to forgive them for deserting them and turning on them. Through through that conversation, one of the elders of, of that church offered to speak to us to confirm these things. So on a Saturday, just three days later on the 5th, we spoke to a former elder who was a player in that story, who authenticated and confirmed the behaviors of the senior pastor. And we got off the phone. I I don't know what we're going to do now. Any hope that we had that things might change or that, that somehow they might actually consider some of these things that we're saying, that they might loosen up their tight authoritarian transactional grip over the body, we realized actually reinforcements are on the way. I mean, the guy they had coming in was a, a was a less nuanced version, still a bully and still a narcissist, but he he lacked the nuancing skills of trying to kind of cover these things. He'd just excommunicate you if you crossed him. What a terrifying idea that this person's coming to be your your minister. Mm -hmm. I did the only thing I knew how to do. Me and and another person of that of that couple that we met with the elders with both picked four or five people that we had had conversations with that had sought us out, had expressed concern and particularly had expressed concern about this this new pastor who they knew nothing about. And we sent them the links to the podcast. You could probably trace back, you know, the week. That spike in listening, those spike in downloads at that time. Yeah, for for those episodes. Um, Yeah, I remember Kat had reached out to me and just said, hey, are you getting more downloads from this certain area? And I I went and looked and I was like, I am actually. And I don't generally look back at like old episodes to see like what's happening with them. But what's interesting is I can see on a given day, like what's being downloaded. And I was like, oh, a whole bunch of downloads of the Wilkins story from that area. So people got a hold of this information. They started asking questions of the elders. Some were asking questions of elders' wives because that was their point of contact. So they, they get wind in this first week of November that they might have a situation on their hands. And it's, it's very interesting how the response handling changes because I, I'm getting back answers. You know, people that I sent the, the links to will follow back up with me and say, you know, I asked the senior or I asked an elder and they said this. And those, those responses, you know, kept, kept shifting as different people ask. You could see that they were behind something and now they were trying to get out in front of it. And so their story started shifting from 
what are you talking about to who gave that to you to yes, we knew about that to of course we know who the Wilkins are. And so it, it reeked of just total ignorance, but they, they had to own it and they weren't going to reverse course. That sort of ratchets, ratchets stuff up. So, so now we know, you know, who's on deck and who's coming in and, and what kind of past and behaviors he has. And they, and they fit in very nicely. You didn't just take one person's word for it either. You went and found other people, another person involved in the situation with this pastor that had been called. And one of the more interesting things that came out of these conversations, one of these people I sent it to who contacted an elder's wife, the elder's wife, the second or third try at kind of sniffing this out and stuffing it down said, oh, he's been, they've been friends for several years. And in fact, he advised him um, on the excommunication, like our senior. So this was not new news. He was actually aware of it the entire time. I, he, he had advised Cat and Colby's pastor on their own, on their excommunication. Oh man! I never heard that directly from from the senior. That was something that came secondhand. It adds up. They're, they're his affinity for him. I know from a, a staff member that I'm close with, who's on the staff at the time, said that there was a, a much more qualified candidate that was actually local that they passed on in favor of, of this out-of-towner. I, I, I wonder like, if he wanted to leave the area he was because of all the stuff that had happened and thought he would just be able to leave behind the stuff attached to his name. So the answer to that very question, because he was questioned in, in a public Q&A, mostly just silly softball questions, but someone asked him, and again, he's already been hired. Why would you leave a job as a senior pastor to come be an associate across the country? And he said that he had family connections in the area and then said he needed to heal and he wanted to to sit underneath a wise pastor. Wow, there's a lot to that. There is a lot going on there. So he's there, but, you know, we've got so much other stuff going on. It's more kind of background noise. Yeah. It, it's not him. It's the fact that they would, in the midst of all this would be so tone deaf to to hire him. We had our second round of meeting with the elders. We reinitiated uh, a call for a second meeting. It felt as if they had no intention of following up. In the interim, the the elders sent out an email, a letter to the church. So to understand, a few of us in this room here with these elders are like the most involved people in this counseling ministry. We're doing lay counseling, we're doing advocate work, we're taking courses. So we we are like the most invested. And without speaking to us, without asking us a question, having any consultation, they completely restructured the counseling ministry. They didn't like the name counseling. 
to they wanted to get rid of even the word and just call it <laughs> discipleship. The the insult of it had to do with not even talking to the people who were involved in it. So we go into the second meeting with these elders. You know, the first one was a few hours and it was a different tone for sure. I think their their patience was done. There had already been invitations to move on to a variety of people. And I, I don't mean move on from this conversation, but move on from, from the church. So, so the conversation opens with a, you know, you covenanted. This is our language of church membership. And you have betrayed us. To which the response was like, we didn't covenant with you. We covenanted with this body of people. This is with a, a body of people. Very early on in this meeting, a, a, a plea was made to bring in a third party, someone that doesn't have, is not invested in this at all, that can look at this. And that was just squashed immediately. They said, we don't need anyone from the outside in here to tell us our business. The senior said, there's not, there's not a big enough footprint to warrant anything like that. So we took up this tact of trying to explain between transactional and relational and, and how, not just how they viewed people, but, but how they viewed God and gave, they, they were very big on like, we, we need examples, give us examples. And we know it's a losing proposition, but trying to, to meet them and where they were, where they were at. And so we'd give an example. And of course that example was a bad example because what really happened here was this, and you weren't involved in that. So you don't know. There was always a plea of special knowledge. You don't know everything. If you knew, you would agree with us. And so that's, that example is not one. Give me another one. Give another one. Nope, not that one. And so I, I stopped and I, I turned it to one of the elders and, and said, what if you had 99 people come to you with the same criticism, would just the sheer volume of that just cause you to pause, to take a step back? And he, and he sat for a second and he said, not necessarily. It depends. It would depend upon each individual case. And, and if I, if I did something wrong, then I would, I would repent of it and, and we would reconcile. Uh, but if I didn't, then, then they, they would need to repent. I said, so there's nothing about the sheer number of people that, that y'all have talked about coming and talk to you in bringing criticisms. There's nothing about how many people that is. That means anything that, that carries any weight. And the seniors, like it, it's, it, it all depends on, on the case. One of the ladies that was in the room used an example that, that she has very personal knowledge of, and this is where things get pretty hairy. Several months before the senior pastor's son abandoned his wife, left, left the home, 
moved in with his parents. And so this lady that was in this meeting with me had been involved in this care situation for a very long time, had been advocating for her in counseling sessions of which our former counseling pastor was at the, the center of directing all this. She brought up some very specific things in this meeting of how the elders had abandoned her during this process as examples of this abusive, harsh, domineering care. And in this instance, very preferential. There was a strong sense that we needed to protect the family mm. and the family of the senior, the senior mm. pastor. Not the abandoned uh, woman. So that, that drew a pretty violent reaction from the room. One of the things that had been stated through this process was that the, the senior had been completely recused from this process, was not involved in any of it. I've certainly heard plenty to the contrary. The reaction from the room was, you can't talk about that because the senior is recused from that situation. So I was like, well, how do we talk about anything? You're, you're wanting examples. You're dismissing all the examples. Uh, I'm giving you one of the harshest, the ones that is like most in our face at this moment. And you refuse to even talk about it. It was, it was very contentious. At one point I turned to the senior cause he was the one that was most close to me. And I, I honestly, I got kind of emotionally over overwhelmed. I was thankful that in, in the midst of being so frustrated, I could have some depth of feeling and said, I don't enjoy doing this. I recounted times that he had been there for me when he was in the emergency room, when, when I had a, a breakdown, when I had called him late at night because Ashley and I had had a fight that we weren't making our way through. I said, I, I know you care. And I know you can't see what it is that we're saying. And I know how hard that must be to not be able to see these things, but to have them said to you, I'm just begging you, please at least just entertain the notion. What was his response? Just kept his head down. Hmm. I did. And I do feel bad for him. I, I understand how hard it is to to see something that you're blind to. Yeah. But this is why, you know, the spirit does its work. But I think he was very poorly served by having a group of, of men around him. And they, he created it, but set a group of men around him that were indebted to him in, in one shape or fashion. And they were unwilling and unable to be able to step outside of that, that oath of allegiance, to be able to say something difficult. When you are that close to the situation, 
it's not that you're a bad person. In most cases, it's just human nature. You just can't see what you can't see because the cost is so high. That's just another plug for like letting outside eyes take a look at something. But it is really, really hard. I think our faith communities really resist it because they feel like there's something really special about either the way they do things in their church that other people don't get or in their denomination or like something about the theology that if somebody outside of that, that doesn't like get their way, that it's somehow not a pure process or Mm -hmm. or we should be able to handle it all ourselves. But time and time again, we've seen that is not the case. Yeah. Even in hindsight, it was a very risky thing that we even delivered or asked, which was to bring a third party in. Even the thought of someone from outside, I think it's very much what, what you're saying. That was a, a threat that we can't do it on our own. So people are already leaving. I had sat in as a witness to one of these conversations with a couple and one couple, I, I sat through their question time with the elders, watched the, the defensive responses. They sought to follow up with some more questions. We're told by the senior, I think you're getting all you're going to get from us. Um, it's up to you at this point. Maybe this isn't the place for you. So these kind of conversations start making their way around to this to these group of people who had brought these critiques, invited to leave. And you stop to think, and we start talking about people who had left in the past, six months, a year, two years, three years, and realizing, oh, there were actually more to the story. Yeah, that sounds like a very familiar pattern for people that are going through things and now that I see things happening here that are not making sense, I'm starting to question the things that happened in the past that I didn't question before. One of the questions that, that kept coming up from one of the pastors who would who would l- resign in the wake of this was just, how are you so sure that you're right about these things that you're hearing? And I think really correctly pointed out, they had no structure either as a group or, or just a structure in, in their mind for this kind of challenge. Because usually everyone just left. When mm-hmm. you had a problem, <clears throat> you'd come and say, say your piece. They'd make an invitation for you to leave if it were a big enough issue and they were done. Except this time we weren't leaving. We, we were steadfastly planted. And when we were asked, why aren't you leaving? Because we covenanted that that very language that they used to send you out was the very reason why why we were planting. This is one of these themes that we keep coming back to over and over again in this story. And I think is so true in most stories like this. People don't bring up their issues and they aren't willing to go through all of this if they just want to destroy an institution it is such a painful process. If you didn't care about a place or people, you wouldn't go through all of this. And so Bo's referring back to covenanting with this community is a really important benchmark for all of us to remember. This is somebody who loves this place and loves these people. 
And it did get me thinking a lot just about how manipulation functions. And this is something that I know you started going through bully pulpit and the Kruger points out a couple ways to manipulate. And you can do this structurally, you can do this relationally. One of the, the main ways that they did this structurally is by weaponizing Matthew 18. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I took to just calling it M18 because it, it sounded much more like a, a weapon that way. They're going to the armory and they're getting the M18 out. Anytime that there was a, an issue with leadership, M18, did you go one-on-one behind closed doors? Keep it secret, keep it safe. And there's, there's no acknowledgement of the fact of how well prepared and how well spoken, how astute you had to be to enter into one of those one-on-one trials with a leader, because anything and everything you said was going to get parsed to pieces. It was a litigation effort. So if you thought that you were going to exit one of those M18 one-on-one meetings with any level of, of being heard or any kind of satisfaction, any kind of repentance on, on their part, you better come prepared. But m- what you usually left with was not feeling heard, confused, maybe ashamed. That was a, a structural way to keep critique at bay. And, and then there was just the, the, the relational part of having a building up loyalty. You flatter people, you bring them into the inner circle on some things. These were things that were done to me early on when I was being groomed to be a, an elder. I was in, in on some secrets. You know, these are things that no one else knows. We've only told you. And then that other term, vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm foe and vulnerability, these little safe, little confessions of things in their life that builds up sort of affinity for someone. And what you end up doing knowingly or unknowingly is that you acquire an an army of that can now really do this work for you. It's, it's definitely, it's feeling more and more desperate feeling like the, the possibility of coming back from it is feeling less and less. We're really desperate at, at this point. They know people are leaving. There's kind of a, a groundswell of people that are asking questions. One of the responses to this email of restructuring the counseling ministry is we did let them know how, how dismissed that we felt that we weren't included in any of that. So. After church on December 11th, they held a, a counselor meeting in between services. I went to that and I wanted an opportunity to be able to, to bring some, some light because I felt like most everything we had been saying was very much behind closed doors in, in the darkness. I wanted this to be a bigger conversation. I always wanted the, the body to be involved in having this conversation about what was going on. So an elder gets up, we had previously asked them to read bully pulpit, 
and they had steadfastly refused, said that it was it was garbage journalism. The first thing he does is stand up and hold up a copy, a bully pulpit, and said, we've all read this, and I'm not quoting. Basically, this, you know, this is a bunch of nonsense. And it was just out of nowhere. I mean, it's not like there was a big push from the congregation to read Bully Pulpit. This was yeah. sort of something we said in private. But I, I guess it was a preemptive kind of strike. If any of y'all are reading this, we want to let you know this is junk. He goes into this this long spiel of how they're restructuring the counseling ministry. And so we're going to do this and we're going to do that. We were just jumping straight into process. Like that was the only problem is that we just have to restructure. I, I raised my hand when he's talking and kind of half interrupt him. He's like, can I ask a question? So he kind of looks around and he says, sure. So I say, I, I appreciate all this attention to process, but I think we have a much more fundamental issue. And that is for most of us who were being trained we have a totally different idea of what it looks to care for God's people than y'all do. Mm-hmm. And so process is absolutely meaningless until we can figure out what those differences are. So that was like my, my first semi-public like, truth-telling. And I I knew the meeting was coming. I was trying to figure out what could I ask that would just open a a door of conversation. I I was sick on my stomach the entire entire weekend thinking about. So so it was a premeditated question. I did want to ask something that wasn't unnecessarily provocative, but did bring out the idea that we're not aligned at all. So someone from the other side of the room he said, what do you mean by differences? Can you give me an example? I really, I wouldn't prepared for it. And so I sat there for like three or four seconds. And so I shared the example of that elder cussing out that guy in a coffee shop. And there were like gasp across the room. The senior who was sitting in on this meeting, he hadn't spoken up to this point, jumps up, spins around and says, that's not a philosophical difference. If that happened, that's sin. And he knew about this. He knew he'd heard me tell him a couple different times. He'd heard a variety of people tell him about this guy. There was a, a dressing down of me of bringing that instance up. And I, I completely shrank kind of that, that old behavior. You know, I, I disappointed him again. And so I apologize to everyone for saying it. I should have used a different example. Not that it didn't happen, but that I should have used a, another example to portray this. So that elder stands up, walks to the front of the room and says that didn't happen. And so needless to say, that meeting did not go um, very well, but it had the impact. And, and I really, I scurried out of there. But there was a lot of people who stayed behind and started asking questions. And in fact, the guy who who asked me for that example stayed behind and he started asking questions. 
And as these guys were apt to do, these elders, the more they talked, the more they implicated themselves. I, I felt like two inches tall. And I actually passed the guy when I left the church and I, I passed the guy who got yelled at in that, in that coffee shop. And I could barely talk. And he stopped me. He's like, what's wrong? And I said, I just, I did something really stupid. What did you do? What's wrong? And so I, I told him what I did. And I, I hadn't asked the guy's permission. I didn't use his name or anything. And I said, you have been so beaten up at this place and so beaten up by these guys and used and abused. And I just did the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, I just used you to make a point. I'm so sorry. And he was very kind, very gracious and said, it, it happened. That, that's not your fault. He said, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of glad that, that you said it. I'm, I'm glad that people know. Your self-reflection and talking to that person and processing all the things. I could be wrong while also trying to hold someone else accountable. You still are holding that. I need to do this perfectly to be listened to. Yeah. That's a really interesting yeah. and familiar refrain. So that's on a Sunday. The next Saturday, I have coffee with the guy associate pastor who's in charge of all the care groups. He's gotten reports that I am no longer doing sermon discussion in our care group. And he wants to know why I'm not doing sermon discussion in the care group. And I have a lot of very easy, legitimate reasons, which was mostly starting at, we just heard the sermon. Why do we need to continue to talk about it? <laughs> We meet like immediately after church and I never would keep someone from talking about the sermon, but having a time as organized around replaying the sermon and rehashing the points of a sermon, this isn't helping us care for each other or get to know each other. I want to know what like is going on in your, in your life. What's made you happy? What's made you sad? So he was not very happy with that, but said, maybe we can talk about that another time. But he got on to the real purpose of the meeting, which is if you don't like the elders and why don't you leave? So I said, well, have you asked the elders that? Or are you just asking me that? Like, what do you mean? Well, if, if the elders are having all these issues, have you asked them about resigning? Are you saying that they ought to resign? I was like, of course they should resign. Wow, like that's 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 really serious. Some of them ought to resign for the active things that they've done, having harsh, domineering attitudes, cussing people out, lying, and a couple other of them, I think, have disqualified themselves just by their passivity of watching this stuff. I, I don't know anything particular that they've done, but they've certainly sat around and watched this stuff go on. Very plain with them. Yeah, these guys should go. Our conversation ended nicely. We hugged. I love you. Let's meet again. I want to work through this. I'm asking him to ask questions that he hasn't asked. He doesn't think it's his place to ask about this marriage, ask about the senior son who abandoned his wife, ask him about the assessment 
that this third party counseling agency came in and did on the marriage that the elders argued them out of the room over, wouldn't even listen to a third party. Start asking some questions about some of the lies they're telling, wouldn't do it. So the next day is a dedicated member meeting with a QA to follow. This is probably the most, one of the more significant things that goes on that really, if the fuse have already hadn't been lit, you know, certainly got lit at this point. It opens, it's heavily, heavily attended. It happens right after the second service place is, is packed. We were a church at the time that was running two services just to seat people. And so, you know, there was overflow seating. First 23 minutes is what I can only call like a gaslighting session by the senior pastor, kind of prepping how you should be thinking, how you should be asking questions. He tells lies about the Wilkins in one specific lie that jumped out at me. And I was having to re-listen to this last night, just in preparation, which was, I would not recommend anyone. It's not a lot of fun to go back and go back in time, but accused the, the Wilkins of going to social media immediately after he resigned. That was what precipitated their excommunication, which I knew was a lie because, because I, I knew how deadly quiet they had been. That was why the excommunication was, was so cruel and so unexpected is because they'd never said anything. Mm-hmm. And I confirmed that by going through social media, the first sign of any word from the Wilkins and social media were, was two or three months later. And so that that's included in his opening remarks because they're aware they've got a firestorm. They're trying to stamp that out. So then they start passing the mic around. And so, you know, cheers on them. I was shocked, shocked that they, they would give a mic around. I think they, they ended up being a lot, a lot smarter than, um, than, than the rest of us seeing what it was going to do. Some comments from this Q and a session, we have no voice in the congregation. The elders are unaccountable. The y'all, and because they're they're all perched on the stage, and you know, in this little semicircle of, of chairs, um, he says you're you're a group of people that just defend yourselves. Uh, says some of y'all have disqualified yourself from leadership. So here's this this call of resignation. You're harsh. You lord over people. We're constantly told that we're grumbling and and gossiping because we have unresolved issues with you. You failed to demonstrate any kind of humility over the loss of our counseling pastor and how hard that's been on us. And then you, you hired a guy with his own baggage from a public scandal in the midst of all this. How deaf could you be to get rid of someone so beloved and hire someone under scandal? People said, we don't trust you. And you've earned it. In one of the comments, it said that said that that you you aren't shepherds, but you are trespassers on the master's land. A lot of stuff. And so that was a drumbeat of we had this pastor that had a shepherd's heart, and we have no idea why why he's gone. That y'all use these these claims of confidentiality to hide 
and the counseling pastor never had a chance to speak or to, to tell us anything. Some of these are not questions, obviously they're statements, but there are, there, there are answers. The elder, the cussing elder, he gets up and, and he, in remarks to that there are, that there are unqualified men because of their temperament, he identifies himself as the temperament guy and admitted to being the guy in, um, you know, in, in sinning against people with his language. Yeah. He said he thought it was okay to cuss at someone when it was for their own good. But at the end, he said he had a quiet time three years ago and he decided to stop, to stop cussing people out. And so that question answered. So the Wilkins pastor, former pastor gets up. He preaches a little mini sermon replete with multiple verses about Churches engaged in irreverent babble, and that's what the old church did. And he was fearing that that this church was engaging in irreverent babble. The Wilkins were liars. That anyone has any any questions, that they should come to him. You get the senior saying, "I've been getting blasted over the counselor's dismissal." He said, but, but I'm not going to revile back and said how we tried and tried. We made an announcement on that Sunday morning. Y'all didn't like it. We sent an email. Y'all didn't like the email. Then he starts crying. I'm sure it's real. I'm not questioning whether they're real feelings. He says, we can't, I can't sleep. The elders can't sleep. These are things that are, they're hard to listen to for people who are, who are very invested and, and know what's going on. But for people who don't know what's going on, that really brought out some bad stuff in people. You had people who had no earthly idea what was going on. Some of them knew, been there less than a year, stand up, say how, how distressed that they were that we even have to have a meeting like this. Mm. It says that you men should not be questioned. Um, we're to submit to you. Please forgive us for this. Huge round of applause throughout the congregation after people started turning on the people who were criticizing. Big round of applause. And and the elders just, just sat there and absorbed it. Mm. And, and remember, the entire purpose, the stated purpose, <clears throat> was for people to ask questions about concerns that they had. This was an avenue that the elders prepared and opened for these very questions. So when they were asked, when people didn't like them, didn't like that, that we were asking questions and making critiques, they, they turned on us, called us slanderers, gossipers. These were some later comments that people made and then applauded and the elders did nothing, mm. didn't stop and say, we appreciate the sentiment, but we called this meeting to hear from your brothers and sisters. Yeah. Whether you agree with them or not, they're hurting. Don't add to their hurt by, by doing that, please. We accepted this role um, willingly. And, and so we should be able to hear criticism. 
that was the single most destructive thing that happened in our church. That if, if I want to point back to a solitary event that created more disunity than anything that, that any of us ever did or said, it was that event. Yeah. I don't know how you come back from that. Did it, did it feel like this is it? It was another, this is it. Talking to the Wilkins elder that Saturday was a, this is it. This was a, this was it. Mm-hmm. Sitting next to me was the abandoned wife of the, of the pastor's son. And she asked for a mic. So she gets the mic. It's towards the end. They had already sort of called for last questions. And, and she really lays all this bare by saying, because <clears throat> there, there was still a lot of confusion about why the counseling pastor is gone. And she says quite plainly, he's gone because he was trying to hold the elders accountable for my marriage situation. So she goes on to ask, how am I supposed to engage with y'all? I've tried Matthew 18. I've invited you to my home. Many of you will not even speak to me. I, I tried everything to work this out with y'all, but it's always met with defensiveness or we just have a, a difference of opinion and move along. That was the first time that the church at large knew there was some a lot bigger at play. So that forced the senior to acknowledge that before the church. And anytime a, a marriage goes south, it, it's a horrible experience for a lot of people. And that was never, that was never the point. The point in how it intersected our church was the, the abysmal, neglectful, oftentimes cruel, care that this young lady received from her very own elders. What a horrible situation for her. One interesting little vignette of that member meeting, Colby and Katz, former pastor, who was featured very prominently in that meeting because he really ingratiated himself into the, the process. After that meeting is over, I'm standing with one of our members who had stood up and was the first one to say how unwise it was to hire someone with baggage when we were going through this difficult time. So I was over there talking to this person after the meeting was over. I could see the elders were like swarming around the room looking for for people. And so the Wilkins former pastor, as I'm talking to this person, makes a beeline for this person almost steps in between us it was along the lines of uh, a pretty forceful introduction to say the least steps in puts all his attention on this person doesn't speak to me doesn't even acknowledge that i'm there and says i understand you may have some questions about my past to which this person was really taken aback, didn't invite this conversation, doesn't know the guy. I don't have any questions for you. I don't know you. I don't have any beef with you. My issue is with our elders and making this higher. And it was very poor choice, very poor time to bring someone in with all the baggage that you've got. 
And he said, I don't have any baggage. He repeats his uncorroborated line. But what he doesn't know is that I've talked to the Wilkins. I've talked to his former elder. I've had a litany of, of former people from their church already offer to, to speak to me. So I know their name. So I insert myself into the conversation because he's not even looking at me. I said, well, but it is corroborated, isn't it? And it's like, by the way, my name's Bo. I want him to know who I am. I've spoken to Colby. I've spoken to Kat. I've spoken to this elder by this name. I know about, and, and I listed, I listed another name. And so he proceeds to put his hand up into my face and, and says, I'm going to stop you right there. So that was my introduction to him. And so he lived up to all of the billing that I had been, I had been told. I mean, that fit into everything else. He's going to say what he's going to say. If you're going to speak against it, then he's going to stop you. Later that night, talked to Colby and Kat, told them about the interaction I had. And their first question was, what time was that? Yeah, like, well, it was such and such. And they're like, oh my goodness. We got contacted by, and they gave me the name of someone that I had mentioned and said that they started getting text and email and phone blasts from their former pastor within the hour of, oh, man. of that. I'm getting all this anxiety and like, stress and I'm not even in the situation. I can't even imagine what the feeling of seeing like calls coming in and texts from somebody that you know is angry likely. And that was supposed to be some sort of spiritual leader to you. Yeah. That was what was communicated through text and how dare you be talking to this person and this person Bo is trying to tear this church to pieces and you're fueling this. Thanks so much for listening to this part of Bo's story. I will continue to share Bo's story next week when we wrap it up. And I am planning to share some bonus audio with everyone as well, where I talk to Ashley and Bo together about their experience and sort of where they are now. So, so make sure you're subscribed or following this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Untangled Faith Podcast, again, is hosted by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and checking out the bonus goodies offered to my supporters, check out patreon.com slash untangledfaith. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelly Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.